Man, I'm excited for this opportunity. Online, we want to welcome you guys today. But uh, man, it's been a fun day, y'all. I want to welcome each and every person. Thank you, guys. And none of this is possible without all of our team members. So big shout out to them. Hey, would y'all be willing to clap like one more time for something? Um, Two people gave their life to Jesus in the 830 today, which is really cool. I think that's really special. Um, Their eternity is now secure in Jesus. And man, that's always worth clapping for. But that was a really cool introduction from our pastor. My name is Travis. I get to serve as the executive pastor here. And um, I'm really excited that I'm actually going to be going on vacation next week. Uh, <laughs> everybody say, oh, that's why he's smiling up there. He's leaving next week. No. But I am going on vacation next week. And really quick question. Um, I know it's summertime. Who here has already been on vacation or about to go on vacation? Okay, so everybody's going to be able to relate to this. I'm super excited about it. Um, before I go, let me show you, like, last time when I went on vacation with my family. So this is back in the beginning of the year. That's me and my wife, Ashley, and our daughter, daughter Hannah. Um, so we went to Disney World, which was Hannah's choice, because we asked her, we like, Hannah, do you want to go to Disney World, or, or do you want to go to college? And she said, Disney World, so we went to Disney World. And so we went to Disney World. Um, so that was us last time, so I'm excited about taking another picture at the beach this upcoming week. But, hey, you know, the reason I show you that is I bet that your life is a lot like that little trip that we did to Disney World. What I mean by that is this, is, <clears throat> you know, you've been working for months on end, and you finally get some time off, right? And you pack the family in the car, and you go somewhere, and you go have a great time, and you do all these cool things, and you get back, you unpack your clothes, and something hits you. You're like, how did I come home more tired than I left? Who can relate to that? Who's living that probably this week right now, right? Like, what do you mean the emails never stop? The phone calls never stop. You just delayed them five days. That's all you did. You come home more tired than you left. We can all relate to that, but that's so much of our life, y'all. Like, think about that. We get up in the morning, we grab a cup of coffee because we were promised that cup of coffee is going to help us out. And by the end of the day, we are hundreds of milligrams of caffeine in. I'm preaching to me right now. Uh, And we're a little more frazzled and fried, and we've actually got less energy and we're more tired, and we can't even sleep when we're supposed to. Right? We pick up our phone because we were told that, we could like keep up with each other and then we're always gonna be connected and then we just see each other's horrific opinions about everything. And it's over and over and over. We go to the doctor because we're feeling bad, we leave on medications, then we go back to get medications to help us with the other medications, right? And what I'm trying to get to you, what I'm trying to explain to you is do you ever feel like you arrive at a moment in your life where you're like, there's no amount of anything that can help? There's no amount of vacations, no amount of caffeine, no amount of medicine. There's no amount of anything that's ever going to make my life feel like a little less crazy than it feels today, right? <laughs> right. They picked the right person for this message too, by the way. Um, but I want to tell you, today's all about the fact um, that I don't think we have to choose chaos. I think we can enjoy our life, um, and it doesn't have to seem chaotic. Matter of fact, I'd even propose to you that chaos is not godly. I don't, I don't believe it's what God intends for us. And what I like to do today is just uh, really kind of show us that it's actually a tactic of our enemy. Um, it's not what God intends for us. And so what I want to do is work through what I believe are like four red flags. That something's not right and that um, we might be experiencing a chaotic life uh, and that we really don't need to be because maybe we got something off. And so what I want to tell you first off is the word chaos defined is complete disorder and confusion, right? 
And everybody in the room is like, amen, right? I know what you're talking about there, Pastor, right? It is complete disorder and confusion. But that's not what God wants for us. He wants the ordered and rhythmic life. And so this is actually like the first part of a two-week deal. Um, so you guys hit me twice. And um, I hope today is going to really set up for next week as well. Um, but my greatest hope is that you can find enjoyment and satisfaction and purpose in this lifetime, uh, even though it does seem chaotic. So I want to give you your first red flag, like the first reason why your, your life maybe feels chaotic. And we're going to kind of work like super broad to the very like narrow thing that we might all know about. So number one is the fact that we may not have an anchor point. We have no anchor point. Our life is chaotic. We have no anchor point. If you can kind of picture in your head, like the idea of like waves or like the, the water, right? And like a buoy or something. And that's kind of what our life feels like, man, we're just like back and forth and back and forth and just really never getting able to respond to anything. We're just having to react to all this craziness around us at all times. And I think it's maybe because sometimes maybe we lost sight of our anchor point. I want to read you Hebrews chapter six, verses 16 through 19. I'll explain all this afterwards. It's probably a little confusing at first. It says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interpose with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters in the veil. Man, a lot to unpack right there. That's a lot of confusing stuff and I wanna make it not confusing for a minute. Uh, number one, uh, the first thing I would want you to hear in that is that anytime you anchor to a person, that person has to leverage something to gain your trust. They have to leverage something to gain your trust. The Bible says that men have to swear by something greater than themselves, right? This is actually like, it's really hard for us to get this today. But if you can imagine like a first century uh, Jew growing up, they would like, how we used to hear in school, like, you know, hey, I promise this on my great, 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 great grandma, right? People back then would say, hey, I promise this on the altar. Like, that's what they're literally saying. It's like, hey, I'm going to make this oath to you, and I'm even going to leverage God to make you trust me, right? And what the, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that if we anchor to a person, you never really truly anchor into them. They have to leverage something they can't do. But what does this look like in the natural, right? So I'm thinking about um, some friends of mine, and you probably have a set of friends just like this too. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they're, they're fully believers. Pray for them all the time. I invite you all to do the exact same thing. Um, but man, when something happens in the news, you always know because they're writing about it, right? And I was just thinking one day, I was like, man, why do they do that all the time? And it just dawned on me that how they casted their vote was the highest point they could ever anchor on. So when that person fails them, their system is flawed and it's over. And I'm not saying don't vote, vote your convictions. I'm not saying that. But when we anchor to a person, that person could be our spouse, our boss, even somebody we admire. They're borrowing and leveraging something, which makes it even more important about what the scripture says about God itself. Is that there are two things about God that make God unique. Number one, he's unchanging. And number one, when he says something, he means it, right? So imagine this. You've probably heard that God's omniscient. Omni, all, science, data, right? 
God knows all data, meaning that he doesn't ever have to change his mind. He never has to react to anything. Everything he does is out of response. So God's word is a response. It is true. He knows the outcome. He doesn't have to worry about leveraging anything because he himself is enough to leverage that word. And here's the cool thing too. It says that this hope is an anchor to our soul. Y'all, that soul is that part of you that's like that essence, that core. That like your body, man, is just a housing. You know what I'm saying? Like your body is just a housing, but your soul is that part of you that deeply connects to God. And here's what's cool. It says that whenever you anchor to God and you can put your full faith and trust for this lifetime and a lifetime to come in him, that's actually an act of holiness. When it says that you go behind the veil, yet again, that's this like altar temple type of imagery that the place that you were not able to go to before because of being unclean and unholy, now you enter into just for pure belief and anchoring onto God. Does that make sense? But the funny thing is, is like God's been communicating this about himself since like the first two sentences of our Bible. All right, flip with me really quick. Um, Genesis chapter one, verse one, verse two, right? First page you got. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, right? You've read these verses before. Um, and we're gonna unpack this a little bit more today. Um, but there's something weird in there. I don't know if you guys pick up on it, but like God's created the earth and the next, and which it hasn't yet explained to us how he's done that. But our Bible starts with him creating the earth. But it gives us a weird sentence that God's spirit is hovering over the depths of the water. So we got this dark, watery world that God's spirit's over. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. It's kind of odd. Well, I want to let you know that throughout your entire Bible, there's so many themes that get replayed over and over. And they're trying to communicate something to us. And this is actually like literally one of the first ones right here. There's a theme in your body, or a theme in your Bible called uh, the theme of chaotic water. And chaotic water represents worldly chaos, unchanging things, things we react to, we can't respond to, things we can't predict. They're just sloshing back and forth. But our Bible's trying to tell us something about God, and God's trying to say something about himself right now, is that by saying that he's over the waters, if he's above the chaos, it means two things. Number one, he's unaffected by it. God's unchanging. He's, he's not affected with our drama. He deals with it, he uses it, he works through it, he redeems it. He's not affected by our drama. He's above the water, but it also proves that he can affect it since he's above it. And so picture this with me too. They, yet again, like I said, weird sentence, right? So not only is like Moses creating his first scroll, Genesis, alone, but there are other people groups that are around the nation of Israel, right? And they don't all believe God or we wouldn't have these scenes in our Bible where they don't. And so they have their different origin stories. So the Canaanites, the Sumerians, the Egyptians, most of their origin stories, think about what I'm going to say, this is worth writing down. Most of their origin stories involve their God coming out of the water onto the land. So opposed to our world, that everything is born out of chaos, God has communicated he's above it. He's actually not a part of it. He's not like every other system in the world He's outside of it. 
So what would it even look like to anchor down and say, hey, today's the day I'm anchoring in Jesus? Number one, you just begin that relationship. Two people have already done that today. It is so simple. It is just making a decision. It is nothing magical, no Harry Potter stuff. It is a simple decision that affects the rest of your life. But you have to develop that relationship, right? You learn, you grow. Disciple means learner. You never stop learning. Every room is a classroom. You develop a relationship with other people who love Jesus too. Man, they're going to help encourage your faith. They're going to help you stay anchored. The day that you have the really rainy day, things are really shifting around, that's when you need those people in your life. And you got to remember God's word. God's word's unchangeable. When you feel like you're not enough, you have to understand that you're fearfully, you're wonderfully made, you're more than enough. When you feel like you're alone, God says he wouldn't forsake us. He says he could give us peace that the world can't give us, right? And whenever we don't know what to do, Jesus says, just ask, seek, and knock. Isn't that crazy? Like the one thing we don't do enough is probably ask God, hey, I don't know the answer. Like I don't know anything. Can you help me figure that out? I think one of the first red flags is the fact that we actually are probably not anchored to anything or we're anchored to the wrong thing. The second thing is that we are out of order. We are out of order. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus. You've, 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 you've prayed. You've established that in your life. But perhaps some things just aren't in the right spot right now. That, you might be able to relate to that. Um, I'd propose to you that God is a highly ordered God. Highly ordered God. And a flourishing relationship actually has order to it. Um, let's borrow from Genesis one more time. So we're going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 2 one more time. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, number one, and void, number two. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, yada, yada, all the stuff we just said, right? The two adjectives it gives our earth is formless and void. But when you like read through the creation account, God kind of deals with it in that order. He spends three days dealing with the fact that there's no form to our earth. He creates seasons and times and everything in the cosmos and everything that's going to support it. And then in the next three days, he creates life. Sky swarmers, land crawlers, and us, right? And I say all that to say this, is that life could not exist without order. No order, no sustaining a life. And Jesus even, like, he even demonstrated this a little bit himself in his earthly ministry, too. I want to show you one more example, and we'll kind of dive into some content. Matthew chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Uh, this is about, uh, Jesus was told that uh, uh, there was a girl who was sick, and he got asked to perform a healing. So we're kind of like, that's the, like the precursor to what we're about to read. Is that when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, but when the crowd had been sent out, he entered in, took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Yet again, a lot of crazy stuff we don't probably understand in our context right now reading. So um, believe it or not, like people wanted it to be a spectacle when somebody died, so much so that people, <laughs> this is so weird, people practiced like radical mourning like, and grieving, so much so that if you had a loss in your family, you would actually invite these people to come to kind of set the tone for grieving. Isn't that kind of weird? Kind of different for us. Um, but it is so chaotic when Jesus arrives. He says, I can't work till this stuff stops. For life to be able to resume, chaos has to stop because we can't get life without order. 
And I don't know about you, but there's so many things in my life, I swear I hope that they're just asleep, they're not dead. But for Jesus to come in there and do something, I know he has to rid some chaos out of my life, meaning I have to deal with some uncomfort for some things that might feel dead to come back alive. Can you resonate with what I'm saying here? Because what I want you to know is our enemy, this is his main like, weapon. You know, his main weapon is to take God's intended order because the Satan cannot create. He can only manipulate. So his only weapon is to take something God has created order for and switch it. Because he knows if he can switch it, you're now confused and distracted and you're weak. He knows that. Because if consistency, if doing things consistently create comforts in our life, then disorder is going to create multiple, multiple distractions. And y'all, y'all all know what distractions do to us, right? We lose our focus on things. We lose our focus on God, right? Whenever we're distracted, it's, that's like the last thing we think about sometimes. It's always about the immediate. How do we fix the immediate? We feel fear and worry in our minds run. We awfulize, y'all. We awfulize so bad. You know what awfulizing is? It's like the worst case scenario, which doesn't normally happen. It can happen. It doesn't normally happen. But we build such a worst case scenario in our heads it's paralyzing. We're distracted. Paralysis by analysis and paralysis by volume, right? We steer away from our purpose. We're now in react mode, not respond mode. And we're not acting out of purpose. We might slip on our character a little bit because we're compromising. And we focus on ourselves, self-preservation. The writers in Ecclesiastes would propose to you that, um, that, that pride's the beginning of sin, that it actually kind of gets us down that road of being a little more into ourselves than what the Lord has, what he, what he wants for us. And, and literally, what Satan does to Adam and Eve, confusing order, is kind of the same things he does to today. You guys probably know a little bit of the rest of the story that happens not long after this, right? They eat the apple. They realize, like, hey, wait a second. The world's kind of compromised now, and God has to deal with it. But that's literally what Satan does to us all the time. He takes us to that exact same tree and says, does God get to be God or do you want to be God today? And you know what's scary? We usually pick the latter, not even thinking about it. So how can we even create order in our life? If you feel like your life is out of order, where would you even start? Think about that tree. Think about that just original sin and think about your life and go, God, today you get to be God, not me. To have order in our life means God kind of gets to say what the, he gets the first and final say. Like we kind of don't get a choice in a lot of things. I would tell, I would tell you like this. Oh, this is rough. Um, when your opinion uh, contradicts your Bible, um, default to your Bible. Uh, we're flawed people. Man, we get things out of order all the time. We have to trust God and God's word for what's right and wrong, for what's true and what's not. Social structures that we have in our life, our friendships, who we can love and be in a covenant married relationship with. God gets to say on that stuff. We don't get to say on that. Our relationships, the way we steward the things we have, we don't get a say. If we're going to keep things in order, God gets the final, the first and final say. And that's how we keep things in order. Your first red flag is we likely you don't have an anger point. Second thing, you know. You have a relationship with God, but things seem to be a little bit out of order. Number three, I would propose to you that we are losing the war in our mind. Maybe you have it all going on. You kind of, you know, like I said, you know Jesus. 
you got all the pieces there, but man, something up here just doesn't feel right. Something up here does not feel right. I would propose to you that what comes into your mind comes out in your life. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. You cannot have, um, it, you can't have a chaotic mind and an ordered life. You can't have it. You can't have a chaotic mind and an ordered life. Your life is moving. Think of it this way. Another way to say it. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Super toxic thoughts. You might experience super toxic life. Victimized thoughts. Everybody is out to get me. Then what is everybody out to do every day you walk out your door? They're out to get you. If you have violence breeding up here, it is going to come out in your language or in your actions to probably somebody you love, not somebody you hate. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. And so you're like, dude, this electrified piece of meat between my ears is driving me crazy. What do I even do about it? I'm going to borrow from my friend Paul here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. I believe this is what it looks like to, to stop losing the war in our minds. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. What in the world does that mean? Where are my our kids people at? Raise your hand if you serve in our kids in here. God bless y'all, number one. Somebody clap for these people. They're keeping their kids right now. The hardest job in here. Harder than this. In uh, our kids, we went through a series not long ago um, called Think About It. It is this, this exact philosophy, right, that we can catch our thoughts, we can check our thoughts, and we can change our thoughts, right? And that's what it's saying, that we can destroy speculations of things raised up against the knowledge of God. We have permission to turn on a firewall, and we don't have to believe everything we hear. Man, if you want to get your mind back, don't believe everything you hear, step one, right? We can catch our thought, and we have to check it, too. What does the Bible say about that? Man, when somebody tells me I'm not good enough, I'm like, well, I mean, I can see it, but, but God said I am, you know? I don't feel, like a, I don't feel like, a, like a victor today, but it says I can do more than, you know, I can do more than anything. I can, I can do anything with Christ who strengthens me. And we're on offense, not defense. We can change our thoughts too. We can use God's truth and change our thoughts. We can catch it, we can check it, and we can change it. But I don't want, I don't want you to experience just a momentary moment of getting your mind back. I don't know if you're like me. I'd like to have it for all time, right? I want to borrow one last passage from Paul in Philippians on how to completely turn the tide of war and fully get our mind back. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through eight, and it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Y'all got this on a coffee mug somewhere. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can turn the tide of war in our minds. I think it's a perfect formula too. I really do. It says that what we need to reframe our thoughts. We need to rejoice. We can choose joy. That's just a simple reframe right up here. And not always easy. I get it, right? But we can choose joy. Whenever we have a bad day, we can go, you know what? Nope, this is for a reason. God's going to teach me something in this. I'm going to be even better tomorrow. We can reframe things. We can also trade our anxieties 
um, that we are experiencing about the future, we can trade that through prayers, right? It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything be in prayer with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known to God. Trade anxieties for prayer. Pastor, when should I pray? Early and often, right? You'll be fine the rest of your life if you can just remember that. Pray early and pray often. But there's a thing about our prayers too. We need to let God know what we need. It says make it known to God. I feel like that's the thing we like, oh, we kind of, we kind of suck at it really, right? We, I have so many people on my phone that I pray for, just like you, and I've heard so many people in this room say it. Yeah, I like praying for people, but I just feel bad asking for something. God has asked you to make your request known to him. Do you know why? Because he just wants to hear you say it. Because, man, when it leaves your mouth and it's out there in the world, you've communicated. That's who you are. God, I need peace today. God, I need sanity today. God, I need a 25th hour to get some stuff done today, right? Let God know what you need and allow God's truth to guard your thoughts and emotions. You gotta continually check stuff. So number three, like I said, maybe you're anchored to Jesus and, and, and maybe you got your life in somewhat order, but maybe it's just going south up here. I think we could take our minds back. I think that's a big red flag that we all need to pay attention to. Man, this is gonna be everybody in the room. This is gonna be a fun one. This one you're about to hear is the entire precursor for next week. So you gotta come back. The fourth red flag is that we are in the red. We're tired, man. We're the most tired, worn out, exhausted, frustrated we have ever been. People who do my job in ministry, they're quitting faster than they ever have before. And we, y'all, we get on stage and talk about how much we love Jesus. Think about that. Did you know in the United States of America last year, over 40 million people turned in a resignation to their boss. Eclipsed any year previously recorded. And this, is, this data is by the Wall Street Journal. 40 million resignations. But you know what's crazy? Employers got ahead of it. They said, hey, we're going to do four-day work weeks from now on out. We're doing four tens. Hey, mandatory vacation. That's a real thing in a lot of places. You have to take multiple days off. We're going to give unlimited vacation. That's the Netflix model. There's unlimited vacation that can be taken if you work for them. And you know what? Everybody still quits. Because you were told that you're not going to burn out and one day you're going to wake up and that vacation has made you more tired than it ever has. Your coffee has made you more tired than it ever has. Your medicine's made you more tired than it ever has. And you open your eyes and you're like, the world around me is a daggum mess. And I might even be part of the problem of it. You know what I'm saying? We went from sleeping eight hours a night to an average of 6.7 as an American. But I want you to know your burnout is real. Feeling in the red is real. And it's because of a biblical curse. I don't know if you know that. I want to read you Genesis. We're going to flip over to chapter 3 now, verses 16 through 19. It said, Then God said to the woman, I will cause you to have much trouble when you're pregnant. And when you give birth to children, you will have great pain. You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Then God said to the man, you listened to what your wife said, and you ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground, 
and you will have to work very hard for your food. In pain, you will eat its food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later, you will return to the ground because you were taken from it. You are dust, and when you die, you will return to dust. And everybody's like, man, that's the most depressing thing I've heard all day. Great day. I came to church to hear something different. What'd you tell that for? Y'all, that square foot in front of you is cursed. And we're going to talk about next week when, the, when, when all that stuff is going to end, and it will eventually, not in our lifetime, but it'll end eventually. <laughs> yeah. God's going to deal with it in its entirety. But y'all, our planet is just cursed. Everything that it takes to create life and to stay, sustain life will now cost you everything. Why do you think you're not tired at the end of the day? It costs you everything to wake up every day. But God said, I want to keep some part of my original plan. I know this is going to be difficult. I know you're going to have to work every day for the rest of your life. But I want to keep something intact that reminds you that Eden did exist and two one day will exist again. And so... God's intention to keep that plan is I do want to give you some sort of rest from chaos in this lifetime. And like I said, we're really going to focus on that next week. He starts really simple, really at the, even the beginning of time, right? So think about this, like God has created the world and remember he dealt with the formless part and then he dealt with the void part and he made the humans. And then we get like to the seventh day and God said that he wanted to stop. He just wanted to cease for a moment, Right? And think about that. That's a pretty cool day. It's like your first like, day on the job as a human, right? It's like you get made on day six and day seven. It's like it's vacation day. You're like, yeah, that's a pretty sweet deal right here, you know? Day one on the job. I don't have to do anything around here. But God was trying to communicate something to his creation this entire time. Is it that when I give you an opportunity to rest, because you're going to need it, because he already knows what's going to happen, right? Is it that I want you to learn to rest for something, not from something? The original humans had nothing to rest from. God had provided everything. It is Eden. They tend the garden. You know what it's kind of like? This is the best way I can describe it to you. It's kind of like the vacation scene. Like, do you ever, like, on vacation, you might have to, like, do your laundry or cook? It doesn't feel like doing your laundry or cook, right, because you're on vacation. That's like Eden. Like, yeah, there's still things to do, but it's not going to feel chaotic. God said, I want to give you a day. Just remember that that's not the life that I intend for you. And so that's why I have a seventh day. And we're going to talk all about that and how that stuff works out. But I just want you to know today, man, it's not God's intention for you to experience day after day after moment after moment after moment after moment of confusion and chaos and distraction and disorder. That is not the life that he intends for you at all. And I think a lot of us are probably just in the red, man. We just need to put on safety for a minute and take a rest. Take a beat and stop and let God actually be God and remember Eden can still exist. There can be a chaos-free moment where I just give God a little bit of time for him to work on me in a way that nothing else in the world can. So I hope these, these red flags are helpful to you, the fact that perhaps we don't have a proper anchor to anchor to. Things are out of order. We're losing the war in our mind, or, man, we're flat-out tired. We are just in the red. I don't know why. No days off. Man, that's the, that's the hashtag, right? That's killing all of us. Busyness is not some sort of symbol of status. It's not. 
that's not even what God wanted for us. God said an ordered, rhythmic life centered around me is what I really want from you. And if I could have that, I bet you wouldn't have the chaos that you're experiencing. But really quick, were these points helpful for anybody in the room today? Man, I think so too. Y'all, God's doing something in me. I'm not a good rester, so I asked pastor, could I study on this and preach on it because I need to learn this for myself as well. But I think the best thing I could do um, for the rest of the day uh, it's just, just, just take a moment just to pray for everybody uh, right now. I love that opportunity. So as I'm doing this, you know, there's going to be a host hopping up right now in Florence who's getting ready to do that. We're getting ready to do that here. But what I love to do is just pray that this word kind of continues to develop in your mind and in your heart. Um, and I'd really love to pray for anybody who said, I don't even know if I've got that relationship with Jesus. So uh, all over the room right now, bow your heads. I want the opportunity just to ask God to do things on our behalf right now if I could. God, we thank you so much for your word today. Your word doesn't return void, so we know that you fully have the ability, um, God, to be that sure anchor point for us. In a world that seems like can never make up its mind, we know yours is fully formed, and we can trust you for that. God, we know we can trust you to help design the roadmap and the fabric of our lives and, and create order for us, and then we can trust you and your word to create our boundary areas, to create how we're going to go through our life, God, we pray that you ease our anxious mind. Help us catch thoughts that are not of you. Check them against your word and change them forever. God, so we can live out a victorious life, not a, not a timid, fearful, distracted, disordered life, but a victorious life in you. And God, we just pray for some rest. God, we're asking for just soul rest. Man, when we put it on safety, when we press pause, we're just asking, will you do something in our life that just prepares us for what you got next? It's not... It's not sedating from what's already happened, God, but it's prompting us for what you have next for us, God. And I believe that your word doesn't return void. I know you're gonna work in the hearts and lives of each and every one of us in this room. We're asking this on your behalf. But right now, while everybody's head's still down, hey, listen, if you could say that, I don't know if I've ever fully formed a relationship with Jesus, and I don't wanna leave here like not having done that. I realize after hearing this, I've anchored to everything but him, and then everything I've ever anchored to has failed me, and I am drowning. Man, if that's you in the room today, and you just want to make that decision for the first time, you're not alone, number one. You'd be joining other people who've done that. Uh, but number two, would you be bold enough just to stick your hand up just for a moment? It's not for us to do anything weird. We don't do weird stuff here. If we did, I wouldn't work here. But if you would hold your hand up just for a moment, and it's because we want to put a clipboard in there. It's really tiny, but it has a piece of paper. We just want to be able to connect with you hear your story and be able to support you after this. That's you online today. You're gonna to see promptings in the chat. They're gonna really help you make that, form that decision. I just wanna give a moment for anybody who wants to make that decision. Awesome, looks like everybody's eternity is secure. God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for the word. We ask that you just continue to illuminate places in our life. God, we can trust on you to be our true and firm anchor. God, we love you and we appreciate everything you do in our life. It's in your name I pray, amen.